Hi, hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Face It. I am your host, Will Strayhorn. Thanks for joining me. Um, I have to first say that I am coming down with something. Somebody came into the salon, and I believe they they passed something along. I hate that. You know, you're in uh, a public place, and the person next to you is coughing your direction. You just know what's going to happen. Um, so please excuse my voice this evening. Um, I can feel it coming on, so I need to take care of that as soon as the show is over. But I thank you all for tuning in. October the 5th, a new month, a whole new month of shows, and I have quite a few shows. Actually, I have shows lined up through December, and you're going to be completely entertained with everything um, that we have going on and we have planned for you. Today's show is all about overcoming against all odds, how to turn tragedies into triumphs. Um, Before we get started, I do want to share, I had someone email me, um, and they basically wanted to know how they can um, get information on the show, how they can be involved in the show. Um, and basically, it's all on let'sfaceit.com. Let'sfaceit.com. Through the website, you can see all of the show castings, everything that we're um, planning, that we're looking for guests for. You can um, get info about the current week's programming. You can get, um, you can actually tune in to that let'sfaceitradio.com to listen to the current show tonight as well as um, all the past shows. You can sign up to be a guest expert. You can also sign up to be a co-host. You can submit any potential show topic ideas through the website, as well as you can chat live with me during my interviews with the guests. And I know everybody doesn't want to call in or they may be shy or a little um, apprehensive to call in live. You can submit questions through through the chat window on the Let's Face It radio.com. As always, you can call in at 917-932-1078 and make sure you press 1. That's going to put you into the special queue for people who want to make call, I mean, questions or comments to something they heard on the show or perhaps to a guest that we're, we're talking to. Um, you can also communicate through with us through the event page on the um, Facebook which is Let's Face It Radio with Will Strayhorn and Friends. And, again, like I said, today's show, <clears throat> excuse me, against all odds, turning tragedy, basically, in my experience, most people, most everyone, at some point in their life experiences something that really tests the core of who they are or who they thought they were. Um, I found out that adversity pretty much comes to draw out strength and qualities of a person that probably – would have lain dormant had not the adversity come. I am no different. Um, April 2006, I went to the doctor for a regular checkup, and my doctor told me that my kidneys were going to fail. Um, I refused to accept it. Immediately I started cry- crying, and all I heard him tell me was when he said I had to go on dialysis, I heard death for some reason. And he said end-stage renal failure. To me, that equaled death. So that was in April. I went home, started praying, asking my relatives, friends to pray. Needless to say, I believe it was in August 2006, I started dialysis. And for six years, I didn't get my transplant until February the 11th, which is the day that Whitney Houston died. That's the day I got my transplant. But through that whole six years, it was really a a test of my faith, a test of my strength. And in retrospect, actually looking back, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because now I am much stronger. I know that I can endure much more than I ever thought 
that I could because in August when I started dialysis, by the end of August, I had already had my funeral planned. So that's already taken care of because to me, I, I couldn't take it. I knew I wouldn't be able to take it. But here I am now. I'm getting ready to celebrate three years, and I'm doing well, doing really well. So to me, that was a, tra- a tragedy turned to triumph, and I share my story a lot to people who are going through dialysis, people who are afraid of the whole transplant process. Um, I've used that tragedy to help other people who may be experiencing that same fear. So my guests tonight um, each have their own horrific stories. First coming up, we have Ms. Cheryl O'Neill. Um, she was abused sexually from the age of age eight by someone very close to her. She attempted suicide three times and she was addicted to alcohol, to drugs, and so much more. Against all odds, she's still here, and she's going to be here after this break to share her story. So you're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn, and we'll be right back. for jobs only to get turned down because of the economy or lack of a degree? What if you can qualify to work for those same Fortune 500 companies without worrying about a degree and work them from the comfort of your home? With JP Employment Services, LLC, enjoy the benefits of making your own hours, enjoy more free time, and earn a great salary. For details, call 678-835-7371. That's 678-835-7371. Or go to www.jpemployment.com. Must be able to pass the background check and certification. F-O-C-U-S. Find opportunities, create unique success. Focus is an empower agency that provides motivational tools needed to aid our youth and young adults in the metro Atlanta area. Allow Focus to provide your kids with additional help in developing self-awareness, leadership, communication, and empowerment skills. For more information on how to get started today, go to www.focusfruits.com. Focus, life coaching for youth and young adults. Too many times we find ourselves wearing masks to cover our true selves. Girl in the Glass is an empowerment group that supports you in honoring the person you are meant to be. Go to www.girlintheglass.net and learn to trust, receive, and believe in your ability to live in your truth. Visit www.girlintheglass.net today. Are you looking for a book that will uplift inspire and motivate you to pursue your God-given purpose? Do you need to hear testimonies of how others overcame to be triumphant? Are you searching for a guide to spiritual maturity? Or perhaps you'd like that perfect gift for a friend? The Survival Radio Christian Network has just the thing for you. Let Me Testify, Messages of Triumph, Purpose, and Survival is a brand new anthology from the hosts of this great network. Order your copy of Let Me Testify today at www.survivalradiochristiannetwork.com. 
That's www.survivalradiochristiannetwork.com. Read, receive, and be blessed. My first guest, Cheryl O'Neill. She is my first guest tonight. She experienced the unthinkable from the age of age eight. And she's here to share her story and to hopefully be a beacon of light for someone who may be coming up in similar circumstances. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. We finally get to speak. We've been communicating through email. But um, I'm so glad that you are, number one, brave enough to come forward with your story. And I know that you are in hopes of starting a nonprofit. I've done quite a little bit of research on you, and um, I see that I believe we share the same favorite Bible verse. Is yours Jeremiah 29 and 11? <laughs> Absolutely. 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 God is. Go ahead. That is my favorite all-time Bible verse. I love that Bible verse. Amen. And Yes, and for those of you who don't know it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Cheryl, why is this your favorite Bible verse? Because it was something that I could hold on to um, in the middle of, in the midst of me transitioning from just simply being a natural-born woman who's suffering through the memories of addiction and the memories of the abuse to someone who's born again and actually had something to hold on that wouldn't let me go. And God gave me that verse, and I stood on it, and I still stand on it today, actually. And so um, that's why it's my favorite, because it never failed me. It it gives me something to look forward to, and it gives me something to give away. I can give away. Isn't that an amazing promise? Amen. Yes, it is. Now, just so that we can catch our um, listeners up, you endured the unthinkable violations, and from what I understand from someone very close, from the age of age three. So can you, speaking from your inner child, from the vantage point of a third person, speaking about, can you speak to us about the experience and the challenges that she, your younger self, experienced? Absolutely. Well, you know, coming into this world, all innocent and pure, you come into a, a world where it's Fairy tales are truly real. And coming up with a mother and a father who loved me un- unconditionally and reared us to love God, we just simply carried this grace. And then the unthinkable happened. The Lord, um, my father went to see the Lord uh, the day before my birthday, actually. It was um, September the 9th. My birthday was September the 10th. And that was devastating to a six-year-old turning seven, and I didn't understand the premise of what I had done. I had taken it on the inside of it being me that the reason the Lord had taken my daddy. And in dealing with those emotions or not dealing with them very much, so my mom reached out. She reached out to the nearest man that she had in, in our lives, and that was our uncles, and we loved them, and we still love them today, you know. Um, and he then had his own troubles, extended um, the sickness that was seated in him, and he mm-hmm. bored to molest me as a child. 
in which I kept that secret. It was a family secret for a long time. I I told no one. I, and um, not even your mother. Not even my mother. My mother, I didn't tell her until many, many years later. I, I was 18 mm-hmm. years old when I told her of the horror that I lived through, and my uncle was already passed away by then. So it was quite devastating, absolutely. And she, the inner child, she suffered from the vantage point of isolation. Absolutely, Mm. fear was my first drug. It was my first friend. It was my first advocate. You know, it hid me. It kept me abreast. Uh, and away from people that I didn't have to share or tear anything because it was always there. Mm. Fear wrapped me up and slept with me at night, and it woke me up, and it acted as if we were going to play and have playtime, but then that transitioned and turned into tragedy. And it just happened to have the face of someone that said they loved me on it. Exactly. And I know you said that your uncle was someone that you loved, but you also trust that person. So you Absolutely. didn't expect this to happen, yeah. So now into your adulthood, I'm sure it's had some type of effect on how you're able to maintain relationships or form relationships. Now? Yes, absolutely. In the, early, in the earlier, young, younger years, as I was coming through high school and all of that, that energy that I didn't get to dispel by telling him um, how horrible I felt and what he had done and, and actually received the apology that I felt that I deserved, I then gained this victim in this victimized personality. Everything was against me. Everyone was against me. And I carried that on. And it came out in various forms. And so developing relationships was quite difficult. It was quite difficult to look into the faces of my sister and my brothers and be able to be forthright because no one knew this horror. No one could see the ugly, but it felt as if I was walking around with mud on my face. Mm. All, All of my life I felt as if I was always muddy. And so I acted muddy. My attitude was muddy. My 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 conduct, the way that I spoke to individuals, I was bitter from the inside out. And that bitterness then spawned and spewed through those that were closest to me, attempting their best to love me and yet not understanding what it was about me that made things so difficult to be in my space. You had your guard up, pretty much. Absolutely. I mean, it was yeah. beyond, you know what, well, it was so beyond guard. It was, it was, I was the prey for so long. I then decided that I was going to be the predator. Mm. I was going to get back at those who, who had, they had nothing to do with it. I didn't know that then in my victim mind. And my victim, everybody was. What? Exactly, and so I carried that on for a number of years. So establishing relationships was very hard. I mean, I I even bore children in the midst of this mess. And God is so gracious; His grace is sufficient for it carried me through this journey. And now you're moving forward. Now you're helping other people who may be in similar situations. So that brings me to my next question, actually, because you. You say that you tried to commit suicide three times. Absolutely. Three times. My first my yeah. first attempt, I was at 13 years old. 
I was in New York City. My mom had come home and found me all distraught. She is, by the grace of God, is a a nurse, and so she Mm -hmm. lived in the medical field. She understood the symptoms. She she acted effectively, and, and that so I'm still here. And then again and again I attempted and each time failing at it, not realizing what in the world I can't even get this right. (laughs) (laughs) But you know why. You know why you kept, right? I do now. I do now. You do now, absolutely. I do now. A friend told me that he had tried to commit suicide, and God told him that if he did do it, he would not succeed and he would bear the scars to remember. Mm, so yes. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So God so kept you here for a purpose. He kept purpose. me. He kept yeah. me. He kept me because on the inside I didn't realize that that was the training grounds. Exactly. That was the training yes. grounds. My, yes, my life's journey was going to be told and it was going to be showed because of my desire to be so transparent because I was silent. For many, many years, I do realize that I am the voice for the silent one today. Mm -hmm. I am the voice to let them know that they can actually speak through me and speak to me. That's amazing. So so I'm curious, what were you saying? No, I was just saying that's what I do now. Go for it. So regarding your abuse, are you able to, to trace the progression of the abuse and how it's impacted your life. Absolutely. I know right now you're in a much better place. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm healthy and whole today. But Mm -hmm. tracing the abuse started again from those those young years when he began to abuse me. My mother was such a socialite. She had everyone loves her, and they, they even love her today. And she used to have these card parties, and they were just supposed to stay for one day. And it just mm-hmm. so happened that they would go over the entire weekend. She was a, she would cook, and they would play cards, and they would drink, and my brothers and sisters and cousins and all of us, we would be, the kids would be in the back. But they would get so out of mind or just lose uh, comprehension of their drinks That's where it started So we used to sneak from, from the back room And grab their drinks And see who could get the drunk quickest <laughs> <laughs> And you know And you know it was just That's where it started And so once it began there Then then um, it progressed And it went to when I began When I was 13 just as I was um, Right after the suicide attempt I mm-hmm. I used to hate chocolate. I hated chocolate. And Mm -hmm. my mother came home one day and I was. Hello, Cheryl. Okay, Cheryl got disconnected. She will be right back on the line. But we're talking to Ms. Cheryl O'Neill, who has basically been through hell and back. At a very early age, age, she was molested by her mother, by her uncle, after the death of her father, who. was very dear to her, and pretty much the abuse has followed her throughout her life. She's in a much better place now. Um, in my research about Cheryl, I just found out that she is a motivational speaker and she travels to help other young women who have found themselves in, in situations of abuse, uh, molestation, um, drug abuse, and, and um, alcohol abuse which I'm sure she's going to talk about when she comes back on the line. But just to move forward, next week 
Um, a lot of people don't know that. October, of course, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but October is also Domestic Violence Month. Um, and sometimes it does go um, kind of get swept to the side with the awareness of um, breast, breast cancer. Um, Cheryl is back. Welcome back, Cheryl. Hello. I apologize. No, no problem. <laughs> no problem. It happens. But okay. um, I'm a little curious. Now, you said that you, you kept this in and then you had changes in your personality. No one else in your family was uh, offended by your uncle? Was violated by your uncle and none of your siblings or um, you know, no, as I as as I um went through the years, I you know, there was a discussion never even really occurred between my brother and I. He was the only other prospect that it possibly could have occurred to, but uh, I've heard nothing from him on that aspect. Um so as far as I'm as far as I know, I am the hmm. only victim. Hmm. I am the only victim in the family um, that I know of. But again, you know, as I trace this progression from mm-hmm. alcohol to marijuana to from that from marijuana, I then went into the military and I discovered cocaine, and then I went from cocaine and I just discovered crack cocaine. And this progression is it. I always reached to points to where I would say I would never do that. You know, we always get to those yeah. points where, yeah, we have those boundaries, but we exactly. easily lay those lay those to the side when there's so much despair, there's so much you don't deal with, and that's mm-hmm. where you come to understand the mindset of those that are still suffering. Mm-hmm. You're still suffering when you are unable to communicate effectively, when you're still needing to reach out and have some type of imbalance, something to imbalance your the place where you are. You can stand strong in a mighty wind when you're sober-minded. But when you're weak and when you're when you're lost and you're alone and you're afraid, you always seem to run to these these side things that make you feel as if temporarily at least that's going to be enough. It's a lie. It's a lie that I'm trying to perpetuate to the to the people and the young adults that I get to speak to today. It's a lie. It teases you and it tells you and it, it tells you at the very beginning, oh, all things are fun. Oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's play with this cocaine. Let's play with this marijuana. Let's play with this methamphetamine. And then when it plays back, baby, it leaves you. It leaves you blanket. It leaves you alone. It leaves you desperate and it leaves you lonely and it spits at you and it rapes you even the more. And that's the story. That's the journey. That's the truth. The truth. How is long were that. you in the journey? How I long were you? Journey. I'm not trying to directly ask your age. I just want to know from age eight. How long did you deal with all this pain before I, redemption came? Pretty much. Absolutely. I dealt with that pain for twenty plus years. Wow. Yes. And so when redemption hit around the corner, it took. Jails, institutions, prison and sentences, conversation, priests, exorcisms. Pretty wow. Much. <laughs> but it really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, took, it, it took me. It took me a place where it was with you know the Lord and the Lord stepped in, 
And he talked to me through a counselor, and a counselor then took me to HBO. And his story carried my story there, and then they then carried my story to Miss Winfrey, who had a similar story. Yes, yes. And, Mm -hmm. and, And I knew it was the Lord because a girl from my background, no way. No way will it be possible for me to go from crack cocaine to a castle. No way mm-hmm. would it be possible for me to go from pitiful to powerful. Exactly. But I made a decision, and that's all that needs to be done. One decision away from changing your own life. Right. Right. I've always wanted no, no. to change. I'm sorry. I've always no, okay. skim one second. I always wanted to mm-hmm. change the world. And I always wanted to change my uncle and my mother and my sisters and my brothers. But I didn't realize they would not change. How can I do this, Lord? Tell me what to do. And he told me one simple, go in the mirror. Huh. Change that girl. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Once you change yourself, you can change the circumstances around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So I know um, in my research, when you were on the Oprah Winfrey Show, I believe it was titled, Why Can't They Stop? Um, You stated that you realized then that fear was your first drug. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Fear was my first drug. It was my best friend, as I spoke to you before. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I, I now release myself through various forms of writing and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones I've told, it was about my story of never been, what I've never been, places I've never been. And if you may, I've never been unafraid. See, my best friend was fear. She mm-hmm. always wanted me to herself. And, yeah, she told me she had some friends out there, too. But we can talk about that later. I've never never been trusting because I lost that on a brown and a black couch by Mm. the many tentacle hands of my uncle, the octopus, over my tender eight-year-old body. I've never been hopeful. I crushed that the day of September the 9th and on my daddy's death, and I threw Hope away on September the 10th when they sang, Happy Birthday to me. I've never been open because you shut that door. Open, shut that door. Shut that door. What happens in this house stays in this house. That's what I was saying. Amen. Exactly. So, Today you are you're sober. I know you were addicted to drugs. You were addicted to alcohol. So how do you process those thoughts? Because certainly they still haunt you. Oh how my you- goodness! You deal with them one thought at a time. And as you begin, this is what I what I what I've what God has given me to do. He's given me the instruction to go. What you do is you just simply get outside of you. You realize that you're not that important. You're not that important because if your life is that important, what about the 122,000 lives that are needing your story and needing your hope and needing your efforts and your transparency? What about them? Don't they matter? If you have, you know, you have the ability to take a breath 
every day, every morning, and that's something that I took advantage of. I didn't realize how valuable a day was. Mm. And then God allowed me to see the value in the day, and when I realized that I was in it, then I had to go and find that person who realized that who didn't get to count this day as valuable and give them valuable in their day through my journey, through my story, through my support, whatever it was that they needed. And when I began to pour myself out and get outside of me and realize I'm finally sick of me, worrying about me and what I can do for me, God gave me freedom. He gave me freedom when he showed me that Jesus laid his life down for us and that I was to do the same. And so in what ways are you helping those other people in your area? You're in Arizona, correct? Correct. Correct. Right. So, so what's your motivation today for helping those suffering and abuse and addiction such as you such as you were? My motivation today is because by his grace I'm still preserved to be able to raise hope and to carry our favorite <laughs> our favorite <laughs> Bible verse to the nations. And to the people, and you just saw that right here, right in your own communities. I mean, the world could be the next door neighbor. You just never know what a person is going through until you extend yourself out there to show them that it's okay. I go through those things too. Exactly. People feel alone. People feel like they're suffering alone. And when you expound and give yourself out, so that's what I do today. I I extend myself in my community. I'm active in my church. I actually talk outside of my church because a lot of the lost people are at the Mm -hmm. grocery stores, are at the 7-Elevens. You know, they're at the gas stations or they're hanging Mm -hmm. out with a sign that says they'll work for food. Those are the people that we need to reach. Exactly. For sure. I want to really thank you for, number one, reaching out to the show to share your story. I'm sure someone, um, many people, were touched by how you turned your tragedy into triumph. Are there any closing words or pieces of advice you want to share with the audience? I would. I would just simply let them please understand that the hope is in Jesus. He is the only, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will go to the Father except by him. So just come. Just come to the, the understanding that you have to be accountable for your own actions. There's a point of responsibility in, is in you and that the, the world will change when you decide to change something about yourself just one little thing at a time and just keep holding on and pass on the words of hope because hope is alive and God is real. Oh. Sure, I thank you for tuning in and thank you for calling. Um and I invite you back to the show. I'm sure your journey is still continuing. So Oh as it you, is. Thank you. you. Reach new plateaus, I invite you to come back and share your journey with the listeners. Thank you for, for, for reaching out. Thank you, Will, and thank you, audience. Good day. You're welcome. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survivor Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn, and we'll be right back with Miss Megan Serleski.
More and more people are making their purchases online, and their number one resource is ShopSquare.com. At ShopSquare.com, they're committed to excellence and top-notch customer service. ShopSquare.com is empowering customers just like you by providing them with the best details online anytime. If you're looking for electronics, home decor, home appliances, sporting equipment, college wear, or fashion, ShopSquare.com is where you want to be. Go to www.shopsquare.com or give us a call at 877-659-0807. That's 877-659-0807. Looking for unique and safe gifts for children and those with sensitive skin? Look no further than AzariahsInnocence.com. Azariah's Innocence is a natural bath and body product line created by teenpreneur, philanthropist, and honor roll student, Zandra Azariah Cunningham. All natural oils, butter, and herbs make up a beautiful assortment of artisan soaps, lotion bars, bath bomb fizzies, sugar scrubs, candy and cupcake soap, and much more. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Azariah's Innocence, or contact us at one 585 Six eight pure one, fun fresh artisan beauty for girls from six to a hundred and six. Join the thousands of alumni and friends as we support Florida A&M University in a fundraising effort that reminds us that everyone can give. With just a ten dollar donation to Florida A&M University and an invitation to ten of your friends and family, we can make a difference. So go ahead and take the challenge. Fam, you ten for ten. Are you in? Visit www.famu.edu to make your donations today. This message is brought to you by Orange and Green and Associates. Welcome back to Let's Face It. I'm your host, Will Trehorn. We are in the studio now, Miss. Megan Zerleski. Welcome to the show, Megan. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I've been talking to you as well. And just um, looking at your story, you've been through so much. This is my first guest. Um, You've been a victim of emotional abuse for six years. Yeah. Visits to the psych ward, postpartum depression. In your own words. Share with my listeners your story. Um, you know, my story um started basically when, you know, I, I met my ex husband mm-hmm. and we I met him about ten years ago and we got married in two thousand six and yeah, I mean it was it was an ups and down kind of marriage, but there was a lot of emotional abuse. However, I never grew up with any of that, um, my parents have been married, you know, for 43 years and never got into arguments because my dad does not like confrontation. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my mom wears the pants in the family. So, okay. you know, I just thought that, okay, well, when he yells at me and when he calls me worthless, it, that's normal. I just, that's I normal. just didn't know. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the really, you know, I, 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 um, the story, my story really begins after our daughter was born because she was born December 2nd, 2010, and that's when my eyes kind of opened to, you know, this marriage that I was in. It wasn't working. Um, I didn't want her to grow up in that environment, 
but it was such a chaotic three years right after she was born because it was like, you know, think of all these things that happened in your life, but they all happened within such a short amount of time. So, you know, like you said earlier, you know, it was a postpartum. It was seeking treatment for it. It was going to the psych ward. It was dealing with divorce, child custody, um, domestic violence. And on top of that, I was in law school at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, so... um, yeah, it was it, it was pretty crazy, and it's just now kind of settling down a little bit. So, in your marriage with your ex-husband, are there mm-hmm. any negative behaviors that Absolutely. you learned from, the, and how they affected your relationship, perhaps with other people that come into your life? You know, the um, it's a really good question because. I absolutely learned negative behaviors from him, and because I was a, I was a very different person before I met him, and you know I learned these negative behaviors because it just came from that self defense mechanism in you, where you know you're going to stand there and you're going to call me you know vile names, and after a while, you know I just got tired of it, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I and and I didn't yell back, but it was kind of just you know retreating into myself, so. You know, when I when I moved out after Madeline, our daughter, was born, she was two weeks old when I moved in with my parents um, because, obviously, him and I were having a lot more issues. And, it, you know, whenever my mom would try to just correct me on simple stuff like, oh, the bottle's too warm, you know, I, all of a sudden I'd be like, well, I'm a, you think I'm a bad mom? You don't know what I'm doing? You know, you think mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing? And it's just, it was so contentious living with my parents for the first year because I I made it that way because I just took offense to anything that anybody ever said to me because I thought they're looking at me like I'm worthless just like my ex-husband did. Mm. And I had to really learn how to overcome that and get past that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure taking on all of that, all the stress and all the chaos that was going on, you also were taken to a psychiatric ward. That's big. That's big. Something had to have really been going on for such a drastic move. What led to that decision, and how did that affect you? Um, yeah, you know, I, I was actually, I, I had a C-section with Madeline, and so when I went back to the hospital, I went back four days later after that because I had an infection. And there was a social worker that came in and talked to me because my doctor thought she was seeing signs of postpartum. So she came in and talked to me, and she wanted to talk to my family. And so when they came in, my family was just, you know, they were like, well, she doesn't have postpartum depression. So, I mean, I'm I'm thinking if my family doesn't think that I don't have it, then I don't have it. Well, fast forward two months later, I'm calling my doctor, like, begging for more medication. And she's like, Megan, you're at the highest dose of this antidepressant. I can't give you anything higher. So she was like, you need to go to the hospital. So again, like in my mind, I, I was thinking, go to the hospital. Like, what are they going to do? Give me more drugs? All right. I mean, I'm like, sweet. At least like, someone's going to calm me down. <laughs> and so I get there, and the social worker comes in and talks to me. And I, you know, I'm crying, and I've got this IV in my arm, and she's talking about the psych ward. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, it was just a, such a surreal moment because. You know, I grew up, I, I live around Detroit. I grew up in Metro Detroit in Oakland County. Um, you know, and none of this, like, ever was touched any of my friends or, you know, I mean, I never knew anybody that went to a psych ward. I mean, mm-hmm. so it was just, it was very surreal. Um, but, you know, I, one of the reasons I wrote my book is because 
I kind of wanted to take people into a psych ward and show them that it's not as scary as they think. You know, it's just normal, quote-unquote normal people are just going through a rough time in their life. And they just need to be in a neutral setting, kind of away from everything else, and be able to talk about it and be able to, you know, maybe get on some medication to help regulate it. And um, it really was an eye-opening experience for me because the day after I got out, I filed for divorce. Hmm. And then your daughter was two. Your daughter, Madeline, correct? Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. And so how did your daughter, Madeline, teach you to let go and to live again? Because I know your book, Who Am I? How My Daughter Taught Me to Let Go and Live Again. How How did she do that? Um, you know, she really, she was obviously the deciding factor of the divorce, um, and not in a bad way, of course. It was just, you know, I kind of, I tell people I had to choose between my marriage and my daughter, but it wasn't, wasn't really a choice because she couldn't grow up in, in the environment. You know, I was 30, oh my gosh, 32 when I had her, I think. How old am I right now? 36. Okay, yeah, so 32. <laughs> and, you know, my ex-husband scared me. So I'm like, I can't, this this baby cannot grow up and learn this behavior and be scared. And, and so she really, you know, she taught me to let go of an unhealthy marriage. And then she teaches me to live again pretty much every day. I mean, because, you know, I'm one of those people that grew up, I never played with dolls. I never wanted kids, actually. So when I got pregnant, I mean, my friends thought I was kidding. I mean, they really thought I was. <laughs> So, and now, I mean, I just, I mean, she's like the highlight of my life. I mean, just mm-hmm. today, you know, where I live in Troy, there was a fire open house, and she went 100 feet into this ladder. You know, the fire truck had this ladder. Uh-huh. And, like, she's going up there with a the firefighter. I'm scared of heights, and I'm watching mm-hmm. her. And she gets down, and she's like, okay, Mommy, it's your turn. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? Yes, I went on it because she was making fun. I mean, she wasn't making fun of me, but she's like, Mommy. I'll be right beside you. It's okay. <laughs> so, of course, all the firemen were like, of course, you need to go up now. So it's just, I mean, she just teaches me how to how to let go and just live and just have fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I had this negative time in my life, and she was the positive that came out of it. And, um, you know, now I can honestly say that I'm I'm pretty much the most content and peaceful I think I've ever been in my life right now. That's Except amazing. today, because the Detroit Tigers lost, and it was very, <laughs> it was very sad. It was very, very sad. <laughs> I didn't want to come on. I had like an hour in between the loss and this radio uh-huh. show, so I'm like, okay, I get to mourn that for about an hour. <laughs> so, very sad. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Looking back, Megan, what would you have done differently, if anything? Um. You know, I don't know if I would have done anything differently. I've had a lot of people ask me, do I regret marrying my ex? And it's kind of a double-edged sword because how do you regret the person that you had your child with? You know, you can't regret that. Um, I don't like, obviously, the person that, you know, I became from the marriage. And I'm not saying he's a bad person at all. I'm really not. I mean... there's a good person in there. That's why I married him. But he's just one of those that, you know, he he has a lot of anger issues that he obviously mm-hmm. needs to seek treatment for. And we did seek treatment. We went to three different therapists. And at some point, you know, I can't force him to do something he doesn't want to do. So, um, 
you know, I I guess maybe that's the one thing that I would change, maybe just kept pushing that therapy. But again, it's how do you force someone to do therapy when they when they don't want to do it? They don't want to go. Yep. They don't think anything's wrong with them. So the, it's a tough one. But um, regret marrying him? No, absolutely not, because then I wouldn't have Madeline. And how is Madeline today? She is hilarious. Um, <laughs> she actually... She she's very intelligent. I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter. I mean, she's really she's really smart. Like reverse psychology doesn't work on her at all. Um, you know, because right now she's into, you know, she she loves she's she goes to school, preschool, you know, 5 days a week. And I mean, she she really pushes me out the door. When I'm like, "Madeline, have a good day. I love you." She's like she's like, "Bye, mom." You know, I'm at school. <laughs> it's a secret. I mean, I when I pick her up, I'm like, "What'd you do today?" She goes, "I can't tell you. That's a secret." Oh wow! <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh wow! You're four. I didn't think this was supposed to happen until she was older, feeling gypped a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> no, I mean, she's just very, she's very active. She's very outgoing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could go on and on, but um. You know, I try, you know, it's it's funny, too, because I, I put her in dance because I used to dance. And so she loves mm. dance, but she's not a girly girl because I take her, mm. you know, we went to the Disney store today and they had these beautiful princess costumes. I'm like, Madeline, do you want to be a princess for Halloween? She goes, no, I want to be a dog. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so <laughs> she's definitely not, you know, the typical girly girl, which is not a bad mm-hmm. thing. But, um, no, she's doing great. She's she's happy, well rounded, um, and just makes everyone laugh. That's wonderful. Yeah. And do you have any advice for any women who may be experiencing postpartum depression? Because you were you were officially diagnosed with that. Yes. Yes. You were. I was. What does that feel like? What does that feel like? What are the feelings? Do you have resentment towards the child? Um, you... You know, I every woman that goes through postpartum is very different. They experience different things, and I think. Most people, what I came across is that most people think of Andrea Yates, the woman who, you know, drowned her five kids in the bathtub right, right, um, exactly. to try, you know, to save them. And a lot of people think of that. And that is a form of postpartum. But, you know, I wrote my book because my postpartum was I felt I wasn't a good enough mother for my child. And mm-hmm. I actually um, attempted suicide because I thought that she would be better off without me. Um, and, and it was just, it wasn't resentment towards her at all. It was just thinking, you know what, she, I think she'd be better off with my parents or, you know, anyone else. I mean, not my ex-husband, but I mean, it, it's just, it's a horrible feeling to love this child so much and think mm-hmm. that you're not good enough for this child. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. I actually went to the psych ward three times in one year. Um, Mm. You know, the first time was when I was diagnosed, and the second Mm. time was kind of what I call my tune-up. Like, I was there for five days because I just, I needed to get out of, like, you know, the divorce was coming to an end, and I just needed, like, a neutral place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but it's it's a really, it's it's a feeling that you don't want anyone else to ever feel, so, okay. you know, and, and it's hard for people to understand how you can feel this certain way, you know, about your child. But, and it's, you know, when I was in law school, 
before, you know, I was diagnosed with postpartum, I I honestly thought that Andrea Yates' defense was a joke. I mean, I'm, and I'm sorry to even say that now, but I just thought oh, she's trying to get away with it. I mean, this is a joke. But now that I've gone through because it. Because you can relate I mean, to it. Yeah, can I can relate. You know, like so obviously I don't condone what she did, but do I see the insanity defense? Absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I can see definitely why it would be a defense. So what advice would you have to some to a lady who may be going through that postpartum um, depression? You know, I would tell her, you know, a lot of women, including myself, feel ashamed to seek treatment because you kind of are saying, you know, I, I don't have the baby blues. I have more than that. I have postpartum. You know, I'm supposed to love this child. And, you know, and, and you do love your child, but at the same time, it's like, get me away from this child, you know? I mean, right, it's just right, mixed right. feelings. So, you know, I always tell women, I'm like, if you feel that something is off, even a little bit, just go see your doctor because that's what your doctor's there for. Your doctor has seen it all, you know, and, and it may be something as simple as, you know, my friend um, was having a rough time when her baby was born just because um, he had acid reflux and everything, and and she just went and got on an you know an anti anxiety, and that's all she needed, and she was fine. She didn't have postpartum. She just you know was anxious, um, you know. So it's always you know the, that first step of seeing your doctor, following up. But you know what? If you have to go to the hospital, it's not a big deal. It's not as a big deal as people think that it is. You know, it's like it's actually healthy to get out of that situation. You know, Madeline ended up, you know, she was with my, my parents, and I felt safe that she was there, and I felt safe being in the hospital. And just having, you know, a, my doctor, you know, come in and, you know, understanding, you know, what I, and putting a name to what I was going through and finally, you know, getting on the medication to help, you know, balance out my hormones and everything. And, and it took, you know, a good couple of years. But, um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it, that's that's just my number one advice when women ask about postpartum. It's like, you know, it's something that you have to take very seriously, obviously. Um, so if you ever feel something's off, you know, your doctor, that's what your doctor is there for. So in my mind, I'm picturing, so when you made the, you said you made three um, trips to the psych ward. Mm-hmm. So was there some sort of camaraderie that was formed there maybe with other patients? Was it like a group therapy or was it you and a doctor one-on-one? Um, it was both. It was, you know, when, when you first go there, you know, you're admitted and, you know, depending on, you know, the day, I mean, if you're on the weekend, you know, you wait till usually, you know, Monday for group therapy. Um and the time of day, because the doctors make the rounds at different times. So you're assigned to a doctor. Um, so, you know, I didn't know this doctor, this psychologist, before, you know, I met him, and now I, I still see him, you know, four years later. Um, and, uh, yeah, and Monday through Friday, there's group therapy. And, you know, I say in my book, I'm like, the first time I went, it took 10 strangers in group therapy to tell me that I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and that I needed to get out. And it's just, it amazes me still to this day that, you know, it took those 10 strangers. I I don't remember any of their names. I can picture them. But they were the ones that kind of saved me from, you know, the marriage. And, yeah, so you do definitely form this camaraderie because you have, you know, they always tell you, they don't, none of the, the nurses will tell you, the doctors will tell you, do not stay in your room. Like, get out. 
get in, you know, the, the main group, you know, play a game, you know, read a book, do whatever. So you're kind of forced not to sit in your room, which is a good thing. So, the, yeah, you just you bond with the other patients and you find out what they're going through. And when they're what they're going through isn't as drastic as, you know, you might have in your mind, um, you know, of what people in a typical psych ward might be like. So, um, so yeah, that's why I say, you know, it's it's the best form of therapy to get to to find treatment as fast as possible and to get, you know, I needed to find treatment and I needed to get well as fast as possible so I could get home and take care of my daughter. Exactly. So out of all of this tragedy came, number one, Madeline, your, your beautiful daughter, and mm-hmm. law school, you attended law school. Are you still in law school now? No, I graduated. Yeah. Congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. And you become a writer. So you have the book, um, Who Am I? And I was also reading that you're about to start on your first fictional. I am. Yeah, it's a crime fiction. Um, You know, I tell people, like, you know, when I was in, in law school, I was the one in class that, you know, was taking notes on the side thinking, oh, well, this weird loophole would make a great plot story which is probably mm-hmm. why I didn't graduate in the top 10% of my class. <laughs> However, if I get some great well, books out of it, I mean, it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, do you have any final words for our listeners tonight, perhaps something um, that can help them? Um, you know, I just want to say, you know, what got me through um, is, you know, I, I reached back towards kind of, I mean, this is getting a little personal, but, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, so, you know, it's like I, I reached back and started going back to church. And then, you know, if, if anyone out there is going through something, you have to find, you know, something that gives you that peace of mind and hold on to it. And that's, you know, what, what church did to me. And, you know, I started working out again. And you kind of, you know, you really just just focus kind of on yourself. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm like, you know, hope, you know, as long as you have hope that things will get better, then that, that hope gives you the power to survive anything that comes at you. So, um, you know, just, just never lose hope that, that life will get better. You know, you may be going through something rough right now, but it will get better as long as you hold on to that hope. Well, thank you, Megan. Megan, I, I appreciate you um, contacting the show, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. With thank you. Thank yeah, I had so a I had a great time. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. You're welcome. Have a good evening. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survivor Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. We'll be right back with my final thoughts. It's already buzzing about sun come come This single will have listeners wanting more and more from the solo debut album Love and Life. Sun come out. A welcome and much needed song to the R&B world today. Available now on iTunes at RaphaelAshante.com. There are only a few moments in time where we see new talent that takes over the music scene. Raphael Ashanti is bringing back real R&B, releasing his brand new debut album, Love and Life, featuring the smash single, Sun Come Out. Don't give up. Hollywood bow. 
we can't hang around because she's Hollywood fine. Raphael Ashanti, a new talent on the music scene today. With great songs. Off his debut new album, like Let Me Be. Can we talk? Much, much more. Raphael Ashanti's long-awaited, highly anticipated project is available on iTunes and RaphaelAshanti.com. Brought to you by Warrior Media Kings and Relevant Music Entertainment. Get your copy now. Friedrich Nietzsche probably said it the best. He said, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And I think my guest tonight can truly affirm that fact. Next week, did you know that one in four women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime? That every year, one in three women is a victim of homicide who was actually murdered by a current or, or, or former partner. And what was most surprising to me is that over 40% of all domestic violence cases are, in fact, men being the victims. So tune in next week. My guests are Suzanne Perry. She's going to share her story of how, for over 20 years, she suffered at the abuse of her ex-husband and how she's using that story to help others in similar situations. And then we have Dr. Beth Generis, who's going to come and give us some tips, some important information on how to identify potential abusers, what to do if you find yourself in that situation. And then a special person contacted me this evening and wants to come on. We've all heard about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, but there's a new challenge out called the Band-Aid Challenge, and it's going to bring awareness to domestic violence. Like I said, October, the, October, the whole month of October is Domestic Violence Month. So I want you to tune in and hear about how you can post your selfies and how we can bring just as much attention to domestic violence as we did the ALS. So I want to thank my guests, Cheryl O'Neill and Megan Zerleski. I am your host, Will Strayhorn. Let's face it, in life, you're going to be faced with many choices. But the most important choice you will ever make is when you choose to be bold. Be beautiful. Make the choice to be you. Till next time. Strayhorn and friends on the Survival Radio Network. Please be sure to visit us on the web often at letsfaceitradio.com for the latest in show information, including upcoming shows, special guests, spotlight interviews, as well as exciting, innovative ways that you can be part of the show. So tune in next week for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.